Welcome to today's live. I'm Shantae and today we have siblings that are our guests and we're going to be talking about real feelings, um, real resentment and a lot more. So please stay with us and um, listen to the way they share what happened in their life and their experience. And I'm going to hand it off to Emily and let her introduce herself. Um, Emily also wrote the current um, issue, wrote in uh, the current issue, the article, um, Getting Real About Resentment um, and Small Ways That Can Make a Big Difference with Siblings. So please take the floor. Thank you so much, Shantae. And thank you to Parenting Special Needs for, you know, shining the spotlight on siblings and, and dedicating some time and space for us to really share our stories. Um, so I'm the lucky person who gets to be the director of the Sibling Support Project out here in Seattle, Washington. We are a proud program of Kindering, which is Washington State's largest early intervention provider. And we've been providing sibling support for almost 40 years. Um, do that in three different ways, um, through our books and publications, which we're really proud of because they are written um, not only for siblings, but largely by siblings, which I think is so important to hear sibling voices like we are doing today. Um, we uh, coordinate some online communities for siblings. So these are closed Facebook groups where siblings um, can go 24-7 for peer support, for validation, for information. Um, those are all of these wonderful folks you're looking at are members of, of, of some of our groups. And then we also um, facilitate sib shops and teach organizations around the world how to support school-age children through sib shops. And you can find out more about all those things on our website um, I'll say, first of all, that what really qualifies me for this job, first and foremost, I'm a social worker, I'm a writer, I'm a trainer, but but really qualification for this job is that I'm also a sibling. Um, and so, you know, we we are the, the first uh, national organization in the United States to um, it, it entirely dedicated to supporting um, siblings of people with special developmental health and mental health concerns. So that's what brings us here today. And I am one of those siblings. I have an older brother who has an intellectual disability. Um, he is like really at the center of many of my personal and professional decisions that I think a lot of these folks here can relate to. And he really inspires this work. And I was really excited to write this article um, when we started sort of brainstorming article ideas. Um, because first of all, I think, you know, um, people don't always recognize that split experiences really parallel parents' experiences. Um, a lot of the time, and siblings are going to have their relationships with their brothers and sisters longer than anyone, definitely longer than any service provider, and honestly, probably longer even than parents, because we are contemporaries with our brothers and sisters. And so the work that we do is largely to promote awareness of the important roles that siblings play in their families and their communities, and um, how we as siblings need support the same way parents do. And so really um, I loved about this article when we were talking Shantae and like brainstorming is that this was an opportunity to get real about resentment, right? A topic that no one likes to talk about. I think just, um, you know, as a society in general, um, we, we have trouble talking about anger. I think that can be even more so for um, women sometimes, for sisters. And then depending on your cultural background, um, that can be even more the case. Like we don't talk about not only our feelings, but we definitely don't talk about those bad feelings. Siblings who are, I think so often we are the folks who are trying not to rock the boat, trying not to add to the perceived burden of our parents, you know, because they've got so much going on with our siblings with disabilities. We don't really talk about our resentment very, very easily. And I think, um, a lot of the people we're about to talk to can, can speak to that and certainly did speak to that in the article. So I love that. And also the opportunity to share some really small, simple tips for parents, service providers, and anyone who cares about siblings um, to help us sort of um, navigate that resentment and to, um, to help to, to minimize it. You know, how do you process that and how do you move on? And for, the good thing is with siblings, the good news is that like, Bottom line, a little goes a long way. I think you guys will all agree um, that there are so many things that parents, providers, people who care about us can do to like really help us with that resentment. So I don't want to take up too much more of the time. I am going to pass it off to Chelsea, 
because I know you can't stay for the whole time. And Chelsea is on the cover of the issue. Chelsea is the first sibling we meet in the article. Um, so Chelsea, take it away. Yeah. Hi, I'm Chelsea. I am um, from Connecticut and I work as a registered nurse. Um, and I um, am a triplet um, with two brothers with special needs, um, one with hydrocephalus and chronic brain injury, and then the other one um, is on the autistic uh, spectrum. Um, I would say, um, do you guys want me to talk a little bit about just like my resentment? Yeah, I think you should, if you don't mind, go ahead. Cause I wrote down, yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, so I would say um, as a sibling, I definitely have some resentment. Um, I think as a kid, it was hard because my parents were always divided by the three of us. And um, my brothers had some needs that were um, a little bit more important at times than mine, which I understand looking back at it. Um, but I would say um, it's definitely, I definitely have some anger and kind of sadness. Um, just looking back at certain situations where I kind of wish my parents could have been more involved or um, just kind of understood what it was like as a sibling you know, to go through, you know, having my brother in the hospital all the time, or, um, you know, there'd be times when he would be doing okay. And then periods where he would, um, be in the hospital for a while getting a brain surgery. Um, and the other brother, um, would have his moments as well. Um, so I feel like it was very tough for them and I can't imagine what it was like to be the parents of triplets <laughs> and then have that added, um, layer of stress onto it. But, I would say, um, as a sibling, I wish, um, I just wish there was more focus on me as well. Um, I felt like a lot of times, um, the way to get their attention was only if I had an issue, um, because they were so used to responding to my brother's needs. So, you know, it was always the extremes of whether they're okay or whether they're sick. Um, so I felt like that was the only way sometimes to get my parents' attention is, you know, wanting to play sick sometimes or um, because that's what, you know, they were so used to is my brothers um, having their issues, um, which isn't really healthy. But um, I think um, I wish I could have just understood as a kid that, you know, that's what I wanted from them. I think you know, it took years for me to realize what was, what I was missing. Um, and now looking back, I wish I was more aware of that as a teenager and a young child. Um, I don't think you're cognitively always aware of those situations at that age. Right. Um, so, and I also wish I had um, more support. I think as a kid, I wasn't aware of all these groups and uh, I was embarrassed a lot of times by, um, my siblings. Um, you know, unfortunately there's still a lot of shame around, um, special needs experienced that a lot growing up with, um, other families and friends. Um, so. Did you, I have a question. So and you have to leave us. Um, but did you ever get a chance to talk to your parents about these things? Like, I mean, back then, did they stop it? Did they tell you about, because I know that um, one of you had written about the fact that they didn't really go over the diagnosis or what was going on. Parents kind of hold it. And as a parent too, and I'm sure, you know, you want to protect the other kids. You think you're protecting the other kids, but maybe your, your protection is kind of like making it harder. But did you ever get to talk to your parents? Um, and did they ever tell you about your brothers, like what was going on and explain things? Um, I would say we did talk about things very briefly. Um, I think cause they were trying to protect me and, um, you know, my brother's condition, I think they were still grieving. Um, cause my brother was born normal and picked up meningitis in the NICU, mm -hmm. which is kind of why he has this hydrocephalus and brain injury. So I think they were still grieving that loss of a, you know, idea of this normal child. And there wasn't a lot of information they received about how his condition would play out, you know, how things would get when he was older. You know, when we were younger, it wasn't um, as obvious, but as he got older, um, his condition got worse and things, you know, he had to get more frequent brain surgeries. 
So they never really went too in depth about things because they kind of were just taking it day by day. Mm. Um, and they didn't really think too much in the long term. Um, I would say um, we've talked more recently now as an adult about these topics. What advice would you give to one? I'm going to switch it up. One to parents and then two to um, a young to a, a younger sibling. For an adult. Um, my advice would be to, I, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to be a parent with special needs, but as a sibling who's experienced it, I would say my biggest advice would be to be present in that kid's life as well, to take time, spend time alone with them, to think about, okay, well, what are they going through? What's the normal, you know, I don't know if you're five or 12 or 18, what, what are the normal milestones and things that could be stressing that kid out? Um, and, and sympathize with those things because those things may not be as big as some of the other siblings needs, but they're still important parts of life that you as a child go through. And to you as a child, you know, these things that you go through are big deals. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think just, you know, still being there for them and, um, treating them, I would say treating them fairly. Um, I think a lot of times as a parent, the expectations can be different um, for the sibling that's more normal versus the sibling that has some um, special needs. So just keeping those expectations um, fair and trying to create a environment that's um, healthy for, for everyone, um, not just the special needs um, sibling trying to incorporate the other child's needs as well. Um, for a, for another sibling or younger, um, sibling, I would say the biggest advice would be to, um, to think about these things and not ignore these feelings, um, and to talk to other siblings, join groups or see a therapist. Um, so I think as a kid, you're not really aware of how these things are maybe affecting you. And then once you get older, you are like, oh, <laughs> that did affect me. Um, mm. So even just raising more awareness for the parents to preemptively um, just have like a safe space for the sibling to talk, even if maybe they don't think it's bothering them, but maybe they just aren't aware of, you know, how it's affecting them. Wow. Thank you. That's awesome. Do you want to pass the um, mic to yes. the next person? You can... I will pass it over to Crystal. So Crystal, so t please tell us, please introduce yourself. So I'm Crystal Mendez Covington. Um, I'm married and uh, I have a brother with autism. Um, and I'm also a parent of two kids. My son has autism as well. So now I'm in this interesting experience of being a sibling and a mom and you hear my kids and no worries no worries <laughs> um I'm also an occupational therapist wow. so um and I work with um in the public school with special needs children so I feel like this is kind of my world and I'm just very surrounded um by the whole experience and situation um I don't know what else what else to add or if you have a well question. that you have a lot of experience then so <laughs> you're I, I would imagine your experience um from having a sibling and then now having children and being a therapist you have were are there things that you wish maybe in your childhood um as a sibling you wished you would have had a little bit more of a handle Really good question. Um, so just a little background about my family. It's a little different for us because um, my brother wasn't diagnosed till about seven or eight years old. He was born in 77. So at that time, autism is not as well known as it is today. And there weren't as many resources as there are now. So my, um, my mother um, had us grow up very similarly because she didn't know that he had autism at mm -hmm. first she thought he was deaf so she had no other choice but to raise us in a similar manner um so she didn't she wasn't able to really differentiate until a little later on um but I think it was a blessing in disguise because I 
didn't really feel the resentment that some siblings may have um, because she raised us in a similar manner. And when she did make a mistake, I'll never forget one time um, we lived in an apartment. It was a railroad apartment. So each room is attached to another. It's like a long hallway. And uh, my brother kept going into my room and I told her, Jason's going in my room. He's touching my things. I'm upset. And she said to me, well, you know, he has autism. He has special needs. You know, you have to, uh, you have to be understanding of that. And later on, she apologized to me for that. She said, you know what? I shouldn't have said that to you. I don't like it when he goes in my room and touches my things. So if I don't like it and, and it affects me, I shouldn't expect you to feel any different. And she said, you're right. He shouldn't be going in your room. That's, you know, just it. So um, her doing that, A, she's human. We all make mistakes. But for her to own up to it and to um, apologize and try not to do it again made a world of difference. And so now with my own kids, I'm able to take things, situations like that and try to use it with my own kids. But they're very young. My son is four and my daughter's three. So um, still, you know, a little young to talk about those things. Um, as far as advice, um, I would say definitely going along with what Chelsea said to make time for your um, neurotypical children. My mom took me to the ballet we watched, you know, the ballet together. We went out to eat. My brother didn't come with us. Um, so she always made time for me and she always kept the door of communication open. So I was able to talk to her about anything. Um, and as a sibling, uh, I would definitely agree with Chelsea to, sorry, that's my daughter. <laughs> I would definitely agree. Thank you. I think her feet hurt. I don't know. She's three. <laughs> um, definitely um, find any support that you can. Um, like I said, when I was growing up, we didn't have that much support. And so um, I felt very alone. I won't lie about that. Um, I felt like I was the only one that was having this experience. But um, I would also say have really good friends because I have a core group of friends that it didn't matter what behavior my brother had. Um, it didn't matter, you know, how embarrassing he might seem. They were my friend and they were very supportive and they're still supportive to this day to the point that one of my best friends, um, hit, her name is on the trust for my brother in case anything happens to my parents and myself. Because yeah. um, she's been, we've been friends since the fourth grade. Wow. And so Jason is her brother. Um, so if you can just, find a a small core group of people that would support you no matter what that I think that's what helped me um because I didn't I didn't know anyone that was in my situation and now I I have this great Facebook family and I'm like oh my gosh I had no idea this is so awesome but you know at that time growing up that that's who I had was my friends and if they couldn't um understand or or be empathetic to the situation then we couldn't be friends like that, that it. sorry then move along thank you for your time and that's how you always felt i mean that's pretty awesome because oh. That's oh yeah even when it came to dating and marriage um luckily my husband is very supportive but um it, it was like and this situation is not for everyone let's be clear about that and i totally get that but we're a package deal so, you know, I can't, she's singing now. <laughs> I can't, um, you know, befriend someone or be in some sort of relationship with someone and totally exclude my brother. He's all that I have. He's my only sibling. So um, there was no way that I was going to push him aside for um, a person. And I have, to be 100% honest, I have let go of some relationships because they could not, um, understand or deal with my or interact with my brother or maybe they just said something that was inappropriate and I was like you know what thanks but no thanks I'm so I want I want to ask on that because I think that's important because with parents now did your did your mom or your dad talk to you about your brother and say hey I mean did they explain like how you should 
handle friends or because or did you just come up with that on your um, own i mean because i think well you know, i know i had to talk to my my daughter um when so that's a good question my mother would tell you that as a even because my brother's three years older than me so okay. my mother would say uh, even as a child i was telling her how to work with my brother so and she had to remind me that i'm the daughter and she's the mommy and she knows what to do so i think it was something that was um a little bit innate with me. Um, but they did have the conversation. They did say that, you know, my brother has autism and did explain it to me. Um, and that kind of helped because then uh, I was able to explain to other people. But again, at that time, autism was not that big. So the only thing I could compare it to was Rain Man, <laughs> the movie Rain Man. Yeah. Um, and that helped a little bit, but not much. Um so, yeah, we did have that conversation. But as far as having relationships with other people, um, that was a little bit innate. And my mother, thank goodness, had the foresight um, to see that I was going to have a family, that I would probably get married one day, and that they had to set up things for my brother so that I could have my life and my family. Because I told them, well, I'm going to get married, and Jason's going to live with me, and my husband's going to love it. And my mother was like, uh, no, <laughs> no. And thank goodness she had that foresight because now I have my own family. I have now a son with autism and I have to help my own family. Um, not to say that I don't see my brother. We see him once a month. He lives in a group home. He loves it. He comes home. He knows his niece and nephew. You know, he's still 100% a part of the family. But now my role has shifted. And she had, was able to see that coming down the line before I even could. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right, we're going to let you pass the baton. Uh, you know what? I'm going to hand it off to Jennifer over here. Uh -huh. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for having us. This is like a dream come true. <laughs> it's it is something my I am I am you guys are soothing the six-year-old inside of me so thank you for pulling all this together it's it's really amazing and I'll do it again tomorrow and the it's day Emily so thank Emily she did it all it's terrific it's really great and so much of what uh Chelsea and Crystal have said completely resonate with me I mean it's it's like holding up a mirror and seeing my tribe reflected back in me so this is really terrific thank you it's very important work for us but also in um developing a future where we can all really thrive um so I currently work in higher education um um, for the past two decades, and for a decade before that, I worked for a nonprofit organization serving people with developmental, intellectual, and developmental disabilities. Um, and I did mostly like employee training and development, and then career services, finding uh, employment opportunities in the community for our um, adults who were capable of that. And then I moved into higher ed to do career services with, with students, college students. And then, and now I, in career services, if you're doing everything right, you have a lot of contact with the alumni because they should be coming back <laughs> and offering internships and jobs. So now I do alumni and government relations for university. Um, so I'm a, a relationship builder and I'm a storyteller. And uh, one of my Big, and I think my experience with my brother absolutely shaped everything uh, that I do now and forms all of my decisions. Like Emily was saying, um, that resonated very deeply with me. One of the really difficult things when I was a kid is I had no idea that I had no idea what was wrong with my brother. Uh, we, uh, I'm in my late fifties. My brother's a year older than I am. And so the 60s were the bad, bad old days. And they weren't as bad as the 50s, but they were still really bad. Um, there were, you know, no supports, no services. The, the only uh, resources offered to my parents were institutionalization for their beautiful child, which uh, was really awful. 
that is not going to happen in our household. But I mean, he was he was denied an education. He couldn't even go to school. My parents had to create a school with a bunch of other families and support all of this. And my mother had to, my father did bingo to, you know, they, they were just so busy all the time. My mom was a volunteer coordinator. My dad did a lot of fundraising things. Um, so the, the family really centered around my brother, his disability. Um, but they were not, my parents are not natural born teachers. They're not really great at explaining things. And of course, a lot of information was completely elusive at the time. Mm-hmm. Children with disabilities were considered pretty much subhuman at the time. And there was a tremendous amount of shame uh, and blame. So if you had a child with a disability, you know, what did you do wrong? Mm, I know. What did you do to bring this upon your family? And how come you're not fixing it? Uh, because people were just so, and I think that is born out of complete fear because people just didn't want this to be something that could happen to them. And that's the reality. There by the grace of God, go all of us. This can happen to anybody if parents were doing anything special. <laughs> Uh, my brother is, um, you know, he's, he, he was, they really tripped and fell over a diagnosis, but he, he clearly has a lot of autistic tendencies uh, as an intellectual disability, you know, he's intellectually disabled. He, he operates at about a six-year-old level um, and he's very outgoing. He's very adventurous. He's, he's quite lovely. Um, and the two of us are, are, are great friends, but I really was quite annoyed that he, he seemed to be king of the castle and that, uh, you know, whatever, no matter what outrageous thing he did, uh, he really didn't get in all that much trouble for it. Um, and I felt like if I put a, a, a coat on the back of a chair rather than in the closet, it was as if I had killed the Pope. You know, so there was a very, and I really couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. And they really didn't explain what was wrong with him. Mm-hmm. And so it was, uh, I had this sense that he's doing it on purpose to throw me under the bus, to make me look bad, uh, to get me in trouble. You know, it was like this, why am I being like gaslighted here, what's what's going on? So um, if they had sat me down and said, uh, this is what's wrong, uh, this is how you can manage it, this is what we expect, this is what the family has to do, these are the resources we have, these are, these are the ones we don't have, um, that would have really helped a lot. You know, just that honesty and that uh, forthrightness my parents were, were pretty resourceful um, and they were really, um, they're both very outgoing. Uh, they're both really easy to be around. Uh, so they had uh, a lot of wonderful friends who were amazingly supportive and they're both the oldest for all of their siblings. So their parents and their siblings were incredible. Um, but I really felt persecuted. I felt like, <laughs> I was, you know, doing something wrong and that I was in trouble and that things were extremely unfair. Um, my parents are also of Irish descent, so you're not allowed to complain. Mm. Ever. It's a sin. And uh, boy, are you vilified for complaining because you're uh, ignoring your blessings. You're also very Catholic. Wow. Whew. So, um, you know, they're, they... Uh, anytime I would complain about something, they would say, how could you possibly complain? You have everything you need. You are going to be fine. Look at your brother, you know? Um, so, so your voice was completely silenced and I did feel badly. I saw them working very hard to do things that, uh, to take care of us. I, my dad worked three jobs. He was gone an awful lot. Um, uh, my mom was, you know, constantly volunteering. Uh, she even had to be like the bus driver for Scott School, and she picked up other kids in the area to drive to school. So I had to go with her. Um, and so I saw them working very hard. I knew that they weren't, 
you know, just being neglectful. Um, but my advice to, to parents would be, if you can't spend a lot of independent time with your child, because that, that absolutely is really, really important, then you need to find other family members who can fill in and make this special space for them. Um, and my, my, uh, my grandparents were wonderful. My aunts and uncles were really cool. Uh, my grandmother is, was from Ireland and we used to, I, we lived next door. So we would have tea parties, oh. just me, Scott wasn't invited. And so I used to call it grandma Kelly's tea parties. Uh, and they're still like one of my most amazing memories. And I could just blah, 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 blab about whatever. Uh, and that was, you know, things like that really saved me and it, and it really made me feel important. Wow. Um, you're almost, you're making me cry. I mean, that made me cry just that you have to hold in emotions and feelings. I mean, you know, I know that it happens, but you know, I, I just want to pipe in here too, as a parent, like now that you just said that, I'm thinking back to my family and sometimes they would take my older daughter who doesn't have special needs and do things with her. And I was grateful to that, but sometimes there was a little uh, tinge of, they never included the special need child. So I, so to me, you know, I mean, I hear your side, but I kind of think too, like they've never once invited her to go anywhere with them. And now I'm not saying my whole family, but certain, certain family members, you know what I mean? Where the other one gets taken and can go away for the weekend or whatever. And this one is never offered, you know? So I know not the same, but, uh, oh, you guys, that made me cry. Just I don't to, have a tissue. Just to chime in on that. We find that, um, Thank you for sharing that story. And I know Chelsea just shared in the chat. Chelsea has to go. Thank you, Chelsea, about your grandma and your grandpa were your support system. It can be so important for siblings to have like a trusted adult who might not be a parent who's really busy, but have a trusted adult who who can maybe spend some time and um, do those kind of special, have those special moments. Um, That's huge. Annie, were you the one who had the story about the teacher? Was there... One of your sister's teachers did that. I don't know if you want to share that at some point, but okay, I'll be quiet now. No, no, that's fine. You, uh, Jennifer, were you done? Do you want to pass it along to um, Annie? or? And I'll go back. I do want to hear, like, what would you... Well, I think that's what you said, maybe, but I'm putting words in your mouth as far as what you would recommend yeah. for parents is to make sure it's okay. And the other thing that I would recommend to parents is really think about the future for your neurotypical child. I mean, there's a reason that I did career services, employee training and development. I taught myself how to create a future for myself, uh, but not everybody does that. And as somebody who does career development and does college planning, uh, graduate school planning and so forth, it's really hard for young people to do that for themselves. And their number one group, you know, the number one source of help for that is parents. So if you are really distracted as a parent and you have a neurotypical child, planning their future will determine the outcome of your family. It'll determine the outcome of your child who is not neurotypical. So if you don't plan for the future of the neurotypical child, this child is much more likely to abandon the family for good, run away and take care of their own needs. So it's really important to, to secure the future and think about that and think about that on a regular basis because that's the thing that will save the sibling without it. You guys, this is all so powerful. Oh my gosh, holy cow. Okay, you want to pass it? Um, yes, any. Is it Amy or Annie? I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> it's Annie. <laughs> um, so hi, I'm Annie. Um, Welcome. I obviously am also a sib. Uh, I am the oldest of five. My sibling with the disability is the middle child, and she was born in 1980. So I totally relate to when Crystal was saying about, you know, the early stages, you know, now identified as autism, but then it was really kind of a rolling diagnosis and figuring things out, um, also intellectual disability. Um, but of course, being, you know, that oldest child, I think I can echo a lot of other sentiments. I definitely took on that caretaker role. Definitely felt um, that my job early as a kid just kind of got that internal message that my job was to, to help, to please, to um, 
kind of maintain the status quo to do, to, you know, to play my role in the family. And I think that's just kind of natural. It, you know, naturally happens in, in disability families. As I grew older, I really ran into trouble in my kind of preteen teen stage when I was trying to figure out who I was. There wasn't a whole lot of foundation there. Um, there wasn't anyone asking me those questions or, or, you know, or having those conversations with me about my future, like Jennifer was talking about. Um, it was one of those things where I kind of, it, I, I kind of played around with some ideas, but I was never quite sure who I was, even if I didn't know it at that time. You know, that feeling of not belonging, that feeling of being alone, I didn't know what that was. Um, and as I got older, because I didn't, I ended up going into, again, a disability area for my career, like so many people do. And it ended up being a blessing. Um, and I loved it. I became a school psychologist. Um, I, I did that for many years in the public realm, um, then in the private realm. And now I work as a family strategist with families, specifically with toddlers and littles on behavior. And I have a separate component of my business that works with disability families around those behaviors, wow. um, which is so much fun. But honestly, my life growing up as the eldest sib has immensely shaped where I went career-wise, um, my personal life with my own family. I now have a husband and kids of my own. And uh, really, yeah, the guilt, the resentment, um, a lot of the, the lack of awareness for myself as I grew up and then running into trouble and not being able to put a name to those feelings, those experiences, I think very much um, kind of echoes what other people said and, and very much followed me into my adulthood. And I was fortunate, one of the very few that's fortunate enough to get an education <laughs> and life experience so that I could actually deal with those things and move forward. Um, and I feel very fortunate that I'm here today and able to use that experience to help other people. Well, thank you. Yeah, you guys, that is, I never even stopped to think. I'm so glad that we're talking because I think that's so important about the um, planning for your life. You know what I mean? Like, um, and that parents are sometimes too preoccupied to make sure um, they're, you know, they're doing everything else. So, wow. I think that's so huge because never even dawned on me that, you know, that's, that's also something that needs to be addressed. Wow. So, <laughs> Okay, and you get to pass the torch to someone. I think it's Carrie, right? Carrie's left? Okay. Yeah. Um, hello, so my name is Carrie. Um, I'm a college university student, so I'm probably the youngest out here. Um, but I'm a psychology major, so I'm pretty much in the same general field that everyone else is here. Um, and I have a sibling who is two years younger. He has autism and he's on the lower spectrum, so he can't. Um, He's nonverbal. He can't really function on his own. And I like resonated so much with like all of them, all like each, like, like I felt things like they were like, I was like, oh my God, I was like me, like Crystal, like my brother always went into my room. Like I always had that. And because of that, I actually ended up getting a, like a lock for my room because like I really needed that privacy. But it's like, I was like, oh my God, someone else has experienced that, like another sibling. So that was really cool. Um, yeah. And I'm Asian, like my family is Cambodian, but I am like, my parents are immigrants from Cambodia, so they immigrated to here. So I'm actually a Cambodian American. So I kind of also had some kind of strange cultural barriers, like um, mental health, it's kind of a stigma over there. And like, we don't really see um, people who are art artistic over there. Like it's not really common and we don't really talk about mental health. So it was like even harder for me to even be able to talk to my parents about it. And I did talk to my parents like maybe two years ago. I because it was like I was looking at the questions. And um that was like probably the most recent. And it was kind of just like the time where my brother had came in and he kind of just like ripped up some stuff or drew over my stuff. And it was really I was very angry honestly. Like and I felt so upset and I told my mom, like, I, I hate this. You know, I was a teenager. I was like, oh my God, this was, this was horrible. I just, I feel so not good. And my parents, they kind of brushed it off, to be honest with you. They were kind of like, you know, that's just, that's just how he is. We kind of just have to deal with it. He has autism. But that was like, felt very hard for me. Like it invalidated my feelings. And I, I knew like, you know, I, even though I kind of, 
hated my brother at that point. I understood that, you know, it's not really his fault. It's like, it's not something he can control, but it made me feel guilty, which is like the whole thing that everyone's been saying, like Emily, like that, that guilt, like, oh, I'm feeling like such a bad person now. Like I'm, I'm saying that my brother is like this, I hate him and things like that. But like, it was hard for me to believe like in any other normal circumstances, anyone would hate this. Like even people who are per se normal, you know, like they don't have a autistic sibling. No one would want their stuff to be like ruined, those type of things. But it was just, I felt like such a bad person because of this. And it was really, really strange. And um, it was like, I had like a lot of um, conflicts again with like my own mental health and just my parents and um to kind of like make it like kind of harder I really couldn't like talk to my parents about it because they came so in Cambodia there was the Cambodian genocide so like many people were killed and they lost some of their siblings so you know it's like it's like oh I have to feel like at least I had a sibling that was kind of their also their mentality but then you know it was so weird like I felt like I was an only child because I couldn't talk to my brother and those type of things but I technically did have a sibling so I couldn't be like oh I don't have a sibling so I was like in this weird mentality of like I don't know if I have a sibling it's strange like I guess I do but like I don't know how to define it and it was hard to tell people I was embarrassed to bring friends over and I didn't know how to explain what you know, what I didn't even really know what autism really was like I had to look it up on my own I had to find my own support groups recently and because no doctor, my parents, perhaps also because of the um, the English fluency, those type of things, they couldn't explain it, but they never really sat down with me. And I also wish like a doctor or something would be like, hey, are you okay? Those type of things. I had that happen once because of a social worker. And it was like great, honestly, because they didn't even know some things that they learned about my brother and it helped them like be able to give them help. Like, um, I brought this up with Emily and like the other thing that we had, but um, there was a time my brother was like opening the car, like the car doors and like my parents didn't know what to do with it. And they obviously didn't tell the social worker, perhaps because of shame, they didn't know what to do. But I told him and he was like, oh, that is like very dangerous, you know, and they gave us tips and helps like the child lock and all those, those things. So I feel like it's very important to incorporate the sibling, um, perhaps because of cultural barriers and maybe they'll know more things to they like live with them. Maybe the parents don't want to say certain things. Um, and I guess like answering some more questions, like something that like to tell my younger self is that like, I wish that I was told like my feelings mattered and that like, it was okay to not be okay. Like you don't have to always be okay. And I know this is like a little depressing and whatnot, but I'm just like trying to like, no, no, I appreciate it. So yeah. I think we all, I mean, no, I appreciate you being so honest and real. And that's, that's awesome because you know, all of you are experiencing this is six, but there's how many siblings out there? And I mean, I'm, you know, part of it, I'm feeling too, because I'm a mother and I have an older daughter. And I wonder like some of the things that you guys are saying, like, you know, I'm almost ready to cry because yes, why well, I try to do certain things, but at the same time, you know, you don't know what they're, they try to like make it so that you don't have any problems. And, um, and it's, you know, it's, you feel for them because like I know recently and whatever, always her birthday because my, my, we have, I, I'm going off topic, but my, my youngest one is, uh, gets super jealous of her older sister. So she always throws a fit. So it's like every time that she comes into town or whatever, it's this awful situation when, and we're almost having to call the police, which is awful. You know what I mean? But yet, it, so this is like her time to be with us. It's all, you know, it's the older one I'm talking about when she comes. So it just breaks my heart too. So I, you know, I, I hear you all and I feel for you all. And I think, that, but I think my hope is that there's ways that we can kind of all start talking about this and bring it to the forefront so that we can make changes because parents are going through it. They don't, there's not necessarily a roadmap that tells them exactly what to do. Everybody's coming from a different perspective in a different place and their own feelings and uh and wow and so um you know but I think we need to talk about it. so I, I thank you all for like sharing with us and Emily you didn't get to share but I think you get to share a little bit even though you're the uh you know 
you pretty much put it all together and that um, and the facilitator in all of this. But do you want to share about your um, sibling? Um, well, I mean, just to say that I relate to absolutely everything all of you guys have said. I mean, just just all of it. Um, and I think it's just really every time you guys share, I'm like, check. <laughs> right. Like I can absolutely relate to it. And I think, um, you know, when I, when I think back to like the things that really kind of stand out to me from today's conversation, um, you know, Carrie, what you just said about validation is so important. I mean, we do the sibling support project, we do trainings and workshops and, you know, at every single one, I say, all right, just if you don't remember anything I'm going to say about how to support siblings, like just nothing, just remember this one thing. Like if the only thing you remember from our four days or however long we're together, you want to be heard and validated. Um, and that is, it, it's like such a simple thing, but it's so powerful. You know, Carrie, when you talk about talking with your parents and, and talking about your frustrations and having them say, just have to go with it. Like, this is just, this is just who he is and how he is. It's like, they're trying to give you a solution. Like they were trying to give you words to help you move forward. And that's not what you needed right then, right? Most of the time, like we don't need uh, solutions. We don't need to have our problems solved. We need validation. Like how different would that conversation have been if your parents had just said, you know, you're right. It's really hard. It's hard for us too. Um, I, you know, from my own experience, that was one of the most powerful things that my mom ever did was I was having um, some kind of meltdown when I was a kid and um, about my brother. And I said, it's just not fair. I'm just so tired of it. It's not fair. And my mother gave me the greatest gift. She said, you know what, Emily, you're right. It's not fair. The world is not a fair place. And I wish it was, but it's not. You know, that was, it was um, such great validation that my mom was like recognizing, you know, this Wait, Crystal, that your mom recognized like, oh yeah, like when he goes into my room either, like, of course she has a right. And she, she deserves to, to have her space be respected and her things be respected. Um, I think that's like one of the big takeaways. Um, Jennifer and Annie, you both talked about the importance of planning for the future. I can't tell you, I mean, you guys are in these groups. We have a group for adults on Facebook called SIBNET, S-I-B, capital N-E-T, all one word. And so many of the conversations on there revolve around future and our, our roles as caregivers for our brothers and sisters, whether that's going to happen tomorrow or five years down the road or whenever. Um, us feel very underprepared to, to step into that role. Um, and it's so it makes a huge difference if siblings can be involved in those conversations early on. And I always say like really early, like invite them to the, to participate in the IEP meetings, you know, early, um, not, not obligate, but invite, you know, siblings kind of, we know our brothers and sisters differently than our parents do. We tend to know their strengths and abilities in different ways. Right. Um, like a great perspective to have in the room, but also you know, if we're having those conversations about the future, you know, there are not necessarily unspoken assumptions about what's going to happen. Like Crystal said, oh, I just assumed that she live with me and I was going to be fine with it. And your mom, to her immense credit, said, no, you know, she can't see it right now, but but needs to have her own life. And 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 if she later on wants Jason to live with her, and if later on Jason wants to live with her, then we'll support, I'll support that. But like, that should be a choice. That should not be a situation that we find ourselves in inevitably. And so to have those conversations, to be included in the conversations, because look, the reality is like most of us are our brothers and sisters, supporters or caregivers in one way or the other. You know, or it, um, Jennifer, your brother, is your brother in the group home? Or the crystal? I forget which one. Yes, Scott's crystal too, and crystal. Or is he in a group group home too? Yeah. So whether it's you know having conversations, um, you know you guys are probably still like the point person with your the staff at the group home. Like you're not. It's not that you're not involved, but you know it's so ideal to have a place in those decisions. Like what I think I can do in the future, 
what I'm not sure, what supports I need to be able to play this role um, rather than something. And then it feels like much more like a choice rather than something that's just put upon us. Um, Crystal, you talked about like equal expectations, so important. And parents who are listening, you know, we find that siblings who fare well in the resentment department are siblings who grew up in households where there were equal expectations to the greatest extent possible. Like everyone did some kind of chore around the house and no one was allowed to get away with terrible behavior, like you know, calling each other names or hitting each other or whatever it is that kids do. Like there's going to be equal consequences for those behaviors. We're not going to say, oh, he, you know, he has autism. He can't help it. Well, no, he's still not going to hit his sister. You know, those basic things that parents can really reinforce. And also family life revolves around something other than just the disability, right? Whether it's like camping or music or sports or whatever it is that, that family something that's kind of the glue. Um, and Annie, I really want to talk about, oh, my brother was born in 1971. So he's even older. And there was like nothing in the seventies. And, and uh, we also did not have a diagnosis for my brother until much later. So he was in his thirties. He was an adult. I mean, we, we never had a, a good diagnosis for what was wrong with him. Right. I use air quotes because, well, but isn't there something wrong with all of us in some way? But anyway, <laughs> You know, we didn't have a diagnosis and that was really hard. And so um, I really resonate with the idea of that information. And that is, we know from the research that that is like the number one way that the sibling experience parallels the parent experience is the need for information about the disability. Because let's get that from doctors, you know, unless it's the 70s or the 80s and the doctors don't, you know, they're figuring it out. Still to this day, parents sometimes have a long road to getting a clear diagnosis and a treatment plan. Right. Um, why a lot of times they don't share information with their kids. Um, but siblings rely on parents for information. You know, parents have experts, they have doctors, they have clinicians who talk to them about this. Um, you know, if siblings are lucky, their parents are the ones sharing the information about the disability. And so it's really, really important, um, you know, even to say like, we don't know exactly what's going on with your brother. We're working really hard to, to figure it out because they need to have language to be able to explain the disability to themselves, but also to other kids who you know, don't always ask in the nicest of ways. So that need for information is, is hugely important. And all the other things you guys talked about, um, embarrassment, isolation, um, feeling like I'm an only child. I saw everyone nod to that one because we didn't have like, typical relationships with our brothers and sisters. Now, my brother is my biggest fan. Um, he will always have my back. We love to watch James Bond movies together. Like we have our things, but he did not have the same kind of reciprocal relationship that I saw my friends having with many of their brothers and sisters. We didn't talk about our, our dreams for the future. We didn't gossip about the kids at school. You know, he didn't give me advice on years older on, um, you know, going to high school and what that was going to be like and which pictures I wanted to avoid and, and all that stuff, you know, things that I saw my friends enjoying with their siblings. So, um, so I think all of that is really, really valid and true. And, um, as you guys were talking, I just, I'm taking notes and I'm like, these are all like so common for siblings to experience. Um, and it's so lovely that we have a space to like, acknowledge that and share that and be together. So um, thank, I mean, I just appreciate all of you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you too. And before we kind of sign off, I, I want to ask too, like just because I think for the younger families um, that have younger children, this is something that I, I struggled with as a parent. I want to ask how you guys would handle it. Like um, how would you want your parent to share I mean, to tell you about the child's, your sibling's um, disability, yes. But then also how to explain it to your friends. Like, would you want help with that? Or would you kind of like, because it is a big problem with embarrassment and not wanting your friends to be around. And, um, you know, I could, and, and people handle everything differently. Different families handle things differently. And I'm not even talking about our families, but other families. So any suggestions or advice on that? Any tips on how you would? I, I, you know, one of the things that uh, was really hard for me in uh, building sibling relationships was, you know, you get to be friends with someone and then you spend more time together 
And usually that's at one or the other's house. And then if you can't do that, that relationship doesn't go further. So then it's really hard to create strong bonds with your peers. And, and then that impacts the rest of your life. Mm, okay. You wind up not having strong relationships with people throughout your life. And that, that really impacts your future negatively. If you're not able to you know, bond with a partner for the future, you wind up being very, very alone uh, because you have this wall up you can't get past. So it's really important uh, for parents to help children to explain um, what's going on with the other child and to, to help them explain it to friends so that they don't, I used to trip and fall over, you know, if someone saw Scott doing something strange, they'd be like, what's that about? And I, they, yeah, well, he's a special child. Like, what is that? You know, it was really hard. And I found that I didn't, although I had a lot of friends and I made friends very easily and I was friendly, I kept people really far away and that, that it, that did impact, um, you know, who I chose to marry <laughs> and then who I divorced and then, you know, and who you allowed into your life or didn't, or didn't get close to. So, uh, and a support group is especially important for people like us. It's really, really important. So it starts, I think that is the single most important thing parents can do because it will inform the rest of your neurotypical child's life and building support for them to move forward in a really positive way. So they don't trip and fall over it or get into bad relationships because sometimes you let people in who kind of mirror what you, you know, who don't want to hear you, don't want to be part of your life, don't want to participate in your world and you wind up just being more and more alone. So I think that's the single most important thing that families can do. Oh, thank you. Um, and before we sign out, anybody have anything else they want to share that we didn't um, talk about? Because I feel like we kind of went around the circle, but we go. Yes, please. I, one yeah. thing I just want to mention really quick is I know we talk a lot about, um, and I know everyone else has mentioned to a degree that you start off and you really do want to, you want to be an important part in your family, play the role, do your thing, please people. You have that mix of guilt and resentment and with that, you kind of shut down oftentimes. Um, there's certainly obviously sibs that act out, but that, you know, that's a different story. I guess my thought is I really would encourage parents that if you have a typically developing child, especially as young as so, say four or five, and they are that really helpful, kind, empathetic, resilient, all these great qualities you see, which are great qualities to have, um, I would encourage them to, to dig a little deeper to have um, deeper conversations, to ask deeper questions. Because I know as a parent myself, I know how easy it is to say, this child or this problem is more pressing. This one can wait. But what inevitably happens in a disability family is the typically developing child waits for years and waits and waits and possibly never gets addressed. And by that time, they are unable to advocate for themselves. They are unable to ask for what they need. Um, so it's really important that we start these conversations when kids are as young as four or five. And, and mostly because with what they're enduring with the world and what they're experiencing, it is, it's much more complex than your typical child in a typically developing family. And they don't have the brain capacity to know how to deal with that. So they just keep it in. It's really important that we dig a little deeper, that we ask the right questions and that we get the help for them at, at that young age, not waiting until they start to display behaviors or or have difficult relationships in adulthood. It's really important to address it proactively. Wow, thank you. I so love that you said that, Annie. And um, because so many of us, you know, really take such pride in being helpers and being helpful. And like, gosh, if the world was full of people who wanted to be so helpful, like we would live in a much different world. I mean, that's one of the great things about SIBS, right? Um, and, and, I so agree um, that for young kids who are learning, you know, what does it mean to help and um, what does it mean to, you know, put my needs second sometimes. It's so, so important to ask those questions. And we're always encouraging parents to open up that conversation by saying something like really just kind of open, open-ended, like, hey, you know, I've noticed you are such a good helper with your brother or sister. What is that like for you? leave it there. And if the sibling says, oh, it's really great. I like helping out. And, 
you know, maybe to say like, are there any parts of it that are hard sometimes? You know, you do a lot, a lot to help. Just kind of like normalize the idea. And I'm not a big fan of the word normal, but to really like, you know, make it okay for the sibling to talk about the good and the not so good. And to really validate that. Again, validate, validate, validate. And to make it okay. And I think, um, Chante, thank you for, you know, again, creating this space for us to be able to talk about what that resentment looks like. Um, and how we can kind of recognize it, but then also do these little things that really make such a big difference. Yeah, no, I love the article too. So you guys can, um, we'll pass, we'll put the link down below too, for all of the, um, small ways that you guys said that could help, but this was so informative and so wonderful for you all sharing. So we're gonna have to do it again another time, but I thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, and Emily, thank you for pulling everyone together. All of you, thank you for being with us. Um, and thank you for being wonderful um, siblings and um, and everything. So thank you so much. And we will we will see you. And happy um, National Siblings Day is April 10th, right? And don't forget to check in. You guys already know about SIB um, Support Network and um, all of those things. But thank you so much. And we will see you guys next time.